Sometimes I dream that he is me. Like Combo. If I could be like Combo. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm just having some fun out here. Combo Nation, we're here, man. <laughs> what up? What up? What up, everyone? Welcome to episode 322 of Combo's Court. And I am Combo. Don't forget to rate, review, punch down on that. Subscribe, butter, wherever you tune into Combo's Court. Today's show, Jason Timpf, host of State of the Lakers podcast, which can be found on Apple Podcasts and NBA-Radio. Joins in to talk to State of the Lakers, man. That's right. His podcast is named State of the Lakers, and he's here to discuss the State of the Lakers. You can find Jason on Twitter at underscore J-A-S-O-N-L-T. That's right, at underscore Jason L-T. You know you can find me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Intro music by Luca Beats. Let's get into it. Jason Tim, host of the State of the Lakers podcast. You can catch you on NBA Dash Radio and Apple Podcasts. Welcome to Combos Court. We had a great skill development conversation before we uh, press the record button, but we're here to talk Lakers basketball. How are you feeling today, Jason? I'm doing good. What's up, my guy? I really appreciate you inviting me on. Um, yeah, I noticed you followed me on Instagram a while back, and I've actually been following your page for a while. And it okay. looks like you're, you're coming back from an ACL uh, tear. That's no fun, man. Uh, it's no fun, but I feel like a little adversity is good for you once in a while. You know, you just, it kind of makes you gritty. Like you just want to attack, but yeah, it isn't fun. Don't try it. I, yeah, I hear you. I, I, I feel like that day's coming for me eventually. Hopefully. Don't say that, please. Down the line. <laughs> you don't want to do it. Don't, you know, well, if you think that day is coming, start with the prehab and rehab now, like rehabilitate as if you were, ha- if you had an ACL injury just right now, you know, like get on it so you don't have to deal with it or mitigate the chances. Yeah, I actually just happened to cross like a knee program uh, or more of like a knee concept having to do with putting your weight over your toes as opposed to behind your toes. And it's actually been kind of transformative for me because I dealt with a lot of... I think so. I think that's his name. Knees over toes? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I had been dealing with bad tendonitis issues for a while and uh, I put on a bunch of weight during the pandemic and then I cut all of it in the last like six months. And I was experiencing worse knee pain than I had ever felt in my life. And so I started kind of digging around and doing research and I found him. Yeah. And now I jump off that leg with no pain. It's like, it's it's wild how effective it is. Yeah, Ben's been on the show a while back and it's, it's great to see his, all his stuff blowing up. You know, running backwards is one of the things he really focuses on, which is great mm-hmm. for the quads because we're always running forwards. And, you know, obviously that develops the hamstrings, but just working on the quads by running backwards is so important. And it could really like take away that knee pain. Yeah, I'm a big believer in his stuff. And just it just it feels great because I'm I'm 30 now. So like you'd think I'd start trending downwards, but I'm actually trending upwards. Just Not because- true. I don't I don't believe that I don't think it's after 30 anymore. I think that might have used to been the case, but I, I think yeah. it's more like 37, 38. You start trending down. We see it in the NBA. I mean, like, look how good LeBron's been. Uh, we oh, could man. get we could get about this year, but it's, it's phenomenal what he does. <laughs> and him and Chris Paul, but 
Yeah, you know? no, that's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. So let's start with this. Um, let's start on a good note. What are your reasons to be optimistic about this Lakers season? So the, the main reason why I'm optimistic has to do with the philosophy that I kind of thought about this summer, which is the idea that the Laker defense does not depend on high-level guards. It depends on LeBron and AD uh, making their jobs easier. So I was optimistic that even though they swapped out a lot of defensive-minded guards for offensive-minded guards, they would be able to recreate most of what they had defensively but with all of the shooting and spacing that was completely missing in the previous two years. Because if you remember in the previous two years, it was kind of like LeBron and AD trying to run through a brick wall and the offense actually got clunky a lot, especially yeah. in the half court, but they defended so well, it didn't matter. But this, this, you saw a lot of it in the second half against Sacramento, even without LeBron the other night, this idea that with the high level shooting they have with Wayne Ellington, with Carmelo Anthony, with Malik Monk, you're giving guys that are downhill players, guys like Russ and LeBron, tons of driving lanes and really, really easy reads. And it makes their offense so much more explosive. And so we're starting to kind of trend in that direction. We have a long way to go. Their defense has a long way to go. But you can kind of start to see the vision here in the last couple of games to where it's really, really high level downhill superstar offense surrounded by shooting with defense being fueled by those big three players and their athleticism trying to make the guards jobs easier and I, as you can see that ceiling gives them more explosive runs which I think will help them to put teams away down the line you talk about the Lakers defense and Frank Vogel's defense has been top of the league for the past two years uh this year it hasn't been as good I mean there are rumors there are talk that he's on the hot seat do you believe he is on the hot seat? And do you believe he should be on the hot seat? So I've kind of gone back and forth on this a few different times this season. I'm a huge believer in Frank. His defensive scheme is hard. Uh, his schemes, the multiple different schemes that he uses, and it asks for a lot from the players. And I think it got really ugly this season as LeBron and AD in particular were not willing to pull their weight on that end. Mm -hmm. And then as a result, the, the responsibilities for the role players got bigger on defense and they were failing. And so that got frustrating, but I wasn't too concerned about that because I figured they would eventually get that going. The main reason why I got to the point where, where I was worried about Frank is LeBron and AD weren't engaged anymore. And you and I both know as players, there's a thing when you have a coach that is demanding, which is a good thing in my opinion, but when you have a coach that's demanding, it can wear on people. Uh, we, they talk about this a lot with Bill Belichick and with Greg Popovich, this idea that it, you believe in it, but sometimes you can just get sick of it. You can get sick of it and guys can check out. And I've, it had, it's had the feeling that LeBron and AD were reaching that point with Frank. And I was worried that unless they made some sort of coaching change, LeBron and AD wouldn't fully engage in the season. I know Laker fans mm -hmm. are preoccupied with DeAndre Jordan and they're preoccupied with Avery Bradley. And don't get me wrong, those things irritate me too. But those things, those same things happened in 2020. Leaned heavily on Rondo instead of Caruso, way too much JaVale McGee. But when push came to shove in the biggest moments in the playoffs, they rode with the best lineups. So I was never worried about that with Frank. The main thing was I was worried he was losing the locker room. Now, last two games, we appear to be trending in the right direction. LeBron and AD, although LeBron missed is, last is two Is two games a trend, though? We no, you're that. right. That's a good point. But, hey, I'm over, <laughs> maybe I'm overly optimistic. But no, it does it's good. Seem it's like good. It does seem like we're 
we're starting to see. So they would put in effort for short bursts. I thought the OKC game and the, or the Pistons game and the Kings game were the first time this season that Anthony Davis gave a full 48 minute effort on both ends of the floor, especially, you know, I mean, you know, like you, I'm sure you've noticed AD has really, really tried to become a finesse player in recent years, which is infuriating. I'm and, disappointed and, in AD. We could get oh, into that man. too. I really am. And it, it's, it's that on it. Like, I don't know AD personally, but just watching him and from what I hear a little bit, he doesn't take off season seriously. You could just tell, I mean, he works his way into shape and Harden has that. And Luca has that as well. So, I mean, it just is what it is. Like they, like all that stuff adds up when you take off seasons seriously, like that, just, those are things that the compound effect of that, of your players doing that. It means a lot. Like that's why Miami's always good. No, I a hundred percent agree. Cause like, it's, it's hard to shoot the ball as poorly as he has this year. Yeah. Um, especially with the type of separation that he gets. Like, really yes. think about it. Like, bigs are closing out short on him. And more often than not, when he's posting up, the defenders are trying to give him the jump shot to try to take away his physically aggressive moves, right? Yeah. And so, and so for him to go into the season with literally the lowest effective field goal percentage on jump shots for volume in the entire league – it's kind of embarrassing. Like, think of it. Like, that's the kind of thing that we make fun of Russell Westbrook for. You know, yes. we, make, we make fun of Russell Westbrook for being the worst jump shooter in the league. And AD has been worse than him this year. But the thing is, though, that AD still has more gravity. That's just, for rep- just for reputation. For sure. No, and that's yeah. a, you're, you're absolutely right about that. And that's why I'm a big <laughs> believer in him staying at the three-point right. line in terms of catch and shooting, mixing up with his offense. Right. But in the last couple games, he's cut way, way back on the Kevin Durant high post, like isolation jump shots. And he's done more of like the, I'm bullying inside for that, like five or seven foot jump shot. As you and I know, like that is a way easier shot than- Especially for him. Oh, it's like, like when there's a huge difference between like an 18 foot fadeaway and like a physically aggressive seven foot jump shot in the lane. And Anthony yeah. Davis has great touch at that distance. And I, and he, he just got a lot higher quality shots in the last couple of games. We're trending, like you said, two games is short, but, <laughs> but we're trending in the right direction. I have a good feeling about tonight. I think the Lakers are going to, are, are going to uh, beat the Clippers and look impressive. tonight. So you would like AD not to be dependent on the jump shot, just use it to keep defenses honest, right? Yeah, so uh, I think I I would I would cut way back on isolation jump shots until he has his confidence. I would continue to take a lot of pick and pop jump shots and space jump shots cuz like just with the nature of dividing offensive responsibilities, you have to find a lot of time for LeBron to drive to the basket and for Russ to drive to the basket. On those possessions when AD's on the floor, I like him spacing and being aggressive as a catch-and-shoot shooter. Why? Creates a lane, but also it's an opportunity for AD to get easy looks in his offense, which will build his confidence as a jump shooter. And then you know how it goes, man. Once you make a few of those, that's when you can hit the jab, step, jump shot in isolation. That's when you can take the turnaround fade away from 15 feet. You have a rhythm. You have confidence. The ball feels good in your hands. It's a That's a better time to step up the difficulty and the shot quality. Yeah, obviously. I mean, I, you know, a lot of people don't talk about this. They talk about the additions, but they don't talk about how different this roster actually is. What is there, three returning players? Yeah, THT, LeBron, and AD, I believe, are the only ones. So with this new roster, I mean, people will point to age, but is there a glaring roster need you see with this team? 
So I, I have heard from some people that would know that the Lakers had the opportunity to sign Rudy Gay this summer. Mm. And uh, the Lakers lowballed him and offered him the veteran minimum. And the Utah Jazz came in uh, with the mid-level exception. And particularly Mike Conley was really, really pushing Rudy Gay behind the scenes to go to Utah. And Rudy went there because he didn't feel that same you know, uh, interest from the Lakers. And I thought that was a critical mistake because if you really look at the breakdown of the roster, like Melo, Melo to me is not a traditional NBA wing. He's not a, he's not a guy who can, who can guard the, on the Because the ball perimeter. stagnates a little bit, even though he's an all-time great scorer. Yeah. Well, and, and, and Melo's offense has actually been okay this year because he's been good. Yeah. Because he's really, really embraced just being a super aggressive spot up shooter. But I'm more talking about defensively. Like Melo can't really cover ground on the perimeter. So, ah, okay. in terms of their, if you look at their lineup, they have two traditional centers. They have Anthony Davis, who's going to primarily play center. Then they have LeBron. Then they have Carmelo Anthony, who cannot defend on the wing. And yeah. then they have Trevor Ariza, who's been out. So here's the thing. Even when Trevor Ariza gets healthy, you're still in a position where if LeBron misses time, if Ariza misses time, you just don't have any forwards. And you have no choice but to play huge with two centers to try to cover for your lack of size. It would have looked way better if they just – because I'm a big believer in the offensive focus. Every, everyone's making fun of the the ditching the offense, the defensive guards. I like the Kendrick Nunn move. I like the – I like it. Ellington's a great fit. Melo's a great fit. I like the moves they made. They just, they really, really handcuffed themselves by only signing Trevor Ariza and Melo, who's not a real forward in the, in the, in the sense of what the NBA requires a forward to be defensively right now. Like Melo is more like an Ellington in terms of what he can do defensively than he is like a, uh, a Trevor Ariza, if that makes sense. So uh, we'll see what happens around the deadline and with buyout with the buyout market. But if they can get one more guy in that six, six to six, eight can guard multiple positions. I would feel 10 times better about this roster. Cause I love the front court and I love the back court. It's the tweeners where they're getting killed right now. Yeah. I mean, that's like the most coveted position in the NBA. If you could do that, you have an NBA job over even somebody Absolutely. that's, even if, you, even if there's a person that's better than you but needs the basketball a lot, you have a way better chance of holding your NBA job. And Trevor, Trevor Ariza, the name is perfect. I mean, he's a little bit older now, but that type of player is just what they need, and they need more of them. I absolutely agree with you. Yeah, so he, he, made his, he actually participated in practice yesterday for nice. the first time. He didn't do contact stuff, but he did all of the you know, 5 on 0 and, and, uh, and skill work. Trevor, Trevor Ariza, if you go at his look at his basketball reference page, the dude consistently plays a ton of minutes in the second half of his career, which to me is an indicator that coaches believe in him. Uh, they believe in him to be able to, to serve a very focused purpose on the floor, which is to not do anything stupid with the ball on offense, yeah. to, provide, to provide moderate spot-up shooting with moderate closeout attacking, but to be a very, very, very reliable piece on the defensive end within a scheme. He's not going to be the same lockdown guy that he was in 2018 for Houston, but he can be 80, 90% of that. He was actually very good defensively for Miami last year. It was his jump shot that kind of failed him in Miami, but he'll get higher quality three-point shots with this team. So I'm not super concerned about that. He definitely will be a huge boost 
But again, you'd like to have two of those guys for, instead of one. You'd feel a hell of a lot more comfortable. Like if you look at the Golden State Warriors roster, they have like like six or seven guys that fit the Trevor Ariza mold, meaning like between six 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 eight, mm-hmm. guard multiple positions, pretty athletic. We have one in the uh, outside of the outside of the stars. I mean, obviously LeBron and AD. When you get to the playoffs and they're playing forty two minutes, they cover for a lot of that. I'm not trying to. But it's just it's yeah. it's a da- it's a dangerous game to not have a little more depth at that position. Yeah, uh, with a Lakers centric podcast, you know we have to talk about Russ. I want to hear your <laughs> thought. <laughs> He's the most polarizing player on the team, I would say. But I've talked about this before. Um, I want to hear your thoughts on when they signed them. What were you thinking and how he's been playing with them? Because Russ has been Russ. I mean, he's playing like Russ pretty much. I always thought from the beginning, and I never thought Russ would actually agree with this role, he should play like a Bruce Brown type role, like small ball five, rim running, setting screen, short roll, um, just so it makes sense to play with him and LeBron and AD. Like, I think that makes the most sense. Would he like that? Probably not. But what are your thoughts on that? What are your thoughts on when the Lakers actually signed him? And what have you seen from his play? So, first of all, the Bruce Brown thing is actually interesting. I think you'll get to see a little bit more of that when him and LeBron get more reps. Like, this has been a nightmare season for trying to get the big three on the court. That's part of the reason why we haven't seen much of that. There have been moments, though, during the season where they've gone to – uh, Russ as a short roller with screen and roll with LeBron. So I we have seen a little bit of that, but I would like to see more of it. So I was actually uh, very, very high on the Buddy Heald idea. Of course. And yeah. so that whole day was kind of a, a roller coaster because if you remember, Adrian Wojnarowski comes out and tweets, because we were waiting all day that day to see if Montrez Harrell was going to opt into the second year of his, uh, uh, he was on an MLE the previous year and he had a player option for 5.5 million or whatever. And we were, or 10 million. And we were waiting to see if he would opt in because if he did, then there was an understanding around the league that the Buddy Heald trade was just going to happen at that point. That was, that was heavily reported by a bunch of different people. Even the players involved in the trade, like Kyle Kuzma came out and said, dude, I thought we were going to Sacramento, (laughs) you know, like, so that was literally going to happen. Then not even an hour later, Shams comes out and and reports that the Russell Westbrook trade is about to happen. I, I didn't like it at all. I mean, For starters, I'm a big believer in like, I think having the two super, super duper stars and really good role players is actually a better formula than three stars with trash role players. That's a, that's a personal opinion of mine. Cause you feel that the stars could get in a better rhythm and flow, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm a big believer in that give and take. I mean, the only time you can really get around that is if you have a situation like golden state where the guys are all really, really good spot up shooters. So again, Every single time they would run action elsewhere on the floor, it's like if KD, Steph, or Clay are spotting up, they are huge threats. So like that that yeah. that, that worked in a different way fundamentally. Their, their skill sets weren't work. that redundant. Like exactly they all and exactly. Draymond Draymond's a star in his role, you know, and he initiates its offense a lot. Yeah, you're right. It's 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 they're different kind of stars. They're not you know typical NBA stars. They all do a little bit of different stuff. Yeah. Exactly. So, but anyway, so like everybody else for about, for about a day, I was super annoyed about, about the move, but then like everyone (laughs) else, I tried to, at that point, okay, Russ is a Laker now, how is this going to work? And so, you know, the first week or two of the season was obviously really, really frustrating to watch in the sense that Russ was horrifically bad. 
but I wasn't really as concerned about that because that's kind of the Russ experience. He always plays his way into the season and he's such a strange fit that it was always going to take a little bit of time. He looks great now and I'm pleased with that. And I actually like the fit in the flow of the regular season. My concern with Russ from the beginning has been high leverage moments, hemorrhaging possessions. So throughout his career, this is a thing that he's done. He did it with Kevin Durant. He did it in, uh, in OKC without Kevin Durant. He did it in Houston. He did it in Washington. There is a tendency with Russ in really, really high leverage moments to make two or three huge mistakes, poor decisions. And as you and I both know, watching the game for a long time, like when you're in game five on the road against Phoenix, against Golden State, series tied at two, whatever it is, it's a pivotal moment. A couple of bad possessions can cost you a playoff series. 100%. And there are actual examples over the summer. Uh, I remember watching uh, 2014 Spurs Thunder game six, uh, uh, Thunder are down three, two. They had a big lead at the end of that game. And you know what? Russ had made a couple of huge, gigantic mistakes that turned the game. And the Spurs came back and win. And, 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 and you know what was funny is, Kevin Durant missed a shot at the end of that game that would have uh, that would have won it and sent it to game seven. And so it's easy to look at that and be like, oh, Kevin Durant missed a shot to send it to game seven. And Definitely. after watching the game, I'm like, no, nah, man, like Russ tricked that game off with stupid decisions in high leverage moments. And so what I'm worried about is Russ will look at fantastic the rest of the season and he'll look fant- fantastic in the first round. And then we'll be in some big playoff game against a really good team. And he'll make two or three just completely confusing plays, a, a bad pull-up three in transition, a bad turnover, uh, a defensive gamble that leaves a shooter open. Like mistakes like that, that will end up being the difference between us moving on and us getting eliminated in the second round. That's what scares me with Russ. Yeah, so my two keys actually for the Lakers going into the season was AD shooting, believe it or not, and how the team will integrate Russ. Um, I kind of thought that the defense would be there just from what I see in the last two seasons, even though the roster was totally different. But those are the two things I was really looking at. Um, in terms, let's, let's shift to LeBron because we have to talk about LeBron when it's a Lakers podcast. The shooting has been great. And you know a lot about skill development. What have you seen from the jump shot it what has it been a small t- tweak? And I know numbers are saying he's shooting great, but just from the eye test, what have you seen from his jump shot that has allowed him to shoot the ball this well? Yeah, so it's funny. LeBron's jump shot actually kind of annoys me in a bunch of different ways. From a form well, it, it's standpoint. changed over the years a lot, right? In oh yeah, ways. oh yeah. He's yeah. he's a little bit of a head case as a shooter. I have to be careful too because I say this kind of stuff on Twitter, and then the LeBron fans just go nuts on me in the mentions. You know what? You can't have a you can't have a take either way with LeBron or somebody's going to go crazy. Yeah. He's one of the wor- he's one of the my least favorite players to discuss anymore because of that that simple fact. Like it's, it's so just true. like the, yeah. the, there there were people complaining on Twitter yesterday that he was getting special treatment from the league even though he literally took eight consecutive negative covid tests. Like I mean, if you don't want him to play after he took eight consecutive negative covid tests, that's a you problem, okay? That's not a league problem. Yeah. That's a you problem. But Anyway, like the, it, he he uh, he leans back into the left on every single jump shot, even when he's wide open, which is deliberately putting you in a position where you're out of balance. That drives me nuts. He's a little bit on the palm as opposed to on the fingertips. That's a shooting coach thing that that gets pretty annoying. That said, like 
LeBron is one of the hardest workers in the league. That's what always makes it so funny about the the whole like bag conversation that always gets brought up with him, you know, whether or not his skill set matches up with some of the best players in the league. No, it doesn't. Who cares though? Yeah, exactly. But he, he actually does have a great work ethic and for him to shoot the ball as well as he does with his form, the amount of repetition he would have to do in order to, to nail that down is, you know, you and I both understand the work that that takes. Now, if you dive into the numbers with LeBron this season, he's shooting phenomenally well on wide open threes. I think he's actually over 50% on wide open threes, if I remember correctly, but he's also down at around 25% on anything that's contested or off the dribble. So, you know, LeBron right now is relying a little too much on that pullback dribble, you know, or isolate the big, take a step back three type of thing. Those are not going in at a high rate right now, but he's shooting well at the free throw line and he's shooting well at with wide open threes, which tells us what it tells us that when, touch. He's, set, when he's set and balanced, he's got yeah. good touch. Yeah, yeah. But when he, it relies on the tougher shots he, at, with his age, he can't get the base or the lift to, to make those tougher ones. So that's why I, I like his fadeaways out of the post more than I like the, the, the contested step back threes. Cause I feel like from that distance, he has a strong enough base to be able to get his shot off. LeBron has some funny fadeaways, man. Like if oh, I was yeah. playing against LeBron and he made one of those fadeaways, you kind of look at it like, come on, man, that's BS, but he, he does knock them down. So it's funny. Like it's not the Jordan Kobe fadeaway. Like, Oh no. You know, you know what well, I mean? Like, like, if, I'm, if we're playing against Kobe or Jordan, you're like, oh, yep, he's knocking that down. Against LeBron, you're like, come on, man, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, too, with the LeBron one on the fadeaways is like, you know, because I, I shoot a ton of post-up fadeaways. It's one of my favorite shots. Because okay. I, I, I shoot a lot of deep threes, which brings ball pressure out on me. And so usually okay. teams, will put, teams will put smaller guards on me to try to, uh, you know, kind of get up underneath me so that I'm uncomfortable out there. So I just started – I just developed like a, a low-post turnaround game over those kind of guys. And like I, the way I approach that shot is I initiate contact and I bump you for momentum. Yeah. And then from there, it's mostly a balanced shot. Like my, my fadeaway is not like a very dramatic fadeaway. I initiate contact and then it's basically just a turnaround. Like LeBron doesn't really initiate contact on his fadeaway. His is an athleticism fadeaway. His is like, I'm jumping and I'm landing six feet away from where I jumped on my fadeaway. Like, you know, the, I, I wish he did it more like Kawhi. Kawhi, I think, has the most fundamentally sound fadeaway in the league. Initiates a lot of contact, always super balanced, always straight up and down. I wish I would like to see more of that because I'm with you. Like LeBron's fadeaways are almost like, like they, it almost looks like he's challenging himself to yes, take an yeah, impossible yeah. shot. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then he goes, he looks at the other team's bench. It's yeah. funny. <laughs> it's funny. Um, just from the eye test, have you seen a decline in his ability to get to the rim? So of course, of course, there is some decline relative to uh, um, to like you know 2018, you know, in terms of his athleticism. However, with the amount of space that this team is going to ine- uh, eventually be able to generate, and with his strength and with his basketball IQ, I believe LeBron is going to be able to get to the rim at a high level. Still, now here's the example that I would use. LeBron, if you go, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head, so forgive me. But in the bubble, LeBron had one of his best, uh, most efficient playoff runs ever. And that was when he was 36 or 30. Yeah, he was old, the point being. So, like, LeBron, 
at this phase, it's not so much about him as a sheer force of will to the basket as it is his understanding of the game and him passing his way open. Like he's so relentless with making the right read that defenses are very reluctant to help. And so a lot of LeBron's efficiency is actually him generating easy shots with his passing for himself. And so LeBron has absolutely experienced a physical decline, but I believe he's going to be able to get to the rim when he needs to because of his IQ in, in conjunction with his, the amount of athleticism he still has. Like I, I'm LeBron at this phase is just so smart and has such an understanding of when to pick his spots that like, even though it doesn't look the same as it did in years past, the impact is every bit as good as it was. And I think he still has at least the rest of this year and maybe one additional year where he's going to be that type of player. And, uh, and I, I, I think that even after that, you'll see a phase of his career where he's kind of like a juiced up Boris Diaw type of player who won't have that same mobility, but he's just so smart and he's, his, he's that big frame that he's going to be able to impact winning at a, at a high level until he's 40. Yeah. I mean, as you get older, you could show flashes of the same athleticism. So maybe he'll stay just as athletic, but play less and less every year. That's a good point. Yeah. These injuries have been weird, man. Like, like I thought the ankle injury was really unfortunate last year. I thought that was unfair to pin on his age. Cause it was dude, like, dude dove into his leg. I don't know what you expect, but him, him, uh, being out with that abdominal injury this year, even that really, really mild ankle sprain he had at the beginning of the year. Like you can tell it's, I saw a stat the other day that in his entire career up to joining the Lakers, he had missed like 73 games his entire career. So what's that? Whoa, uh, that's crazy. That was, I think it was 15 seasons. That's and insane, then, right? And then, yeah, exactly. And then in his last four seasons, he's already missed that many. So, yeah. So he definitely is trending in that direction, but some of it is caution too. Cause I just like in both games, when he sprained his ankle uh, earlier this season, I think it was against the Spurs. I can't remember, but when he sprained his ankle, he finished that game looking fine and then decided to take games off to rest the ankle. Then when he hurt the abdominal, he was stretching in the tunnel on the abdominal came back into the game hit a bunch of shots and like closed out the Rockets and looked great. Then after the game decided to rest. So I think these are both injuries that if the games were more important, he could have played, but he chose to rest in hopes that he could avoid long-term pain that he'd have to deal with throughout the season. If that makes sense. There's no doubt. He's looking at the longer view of this. He's looking at it, you know, like I want to be ready for the playoffs the only thing with that is he has to play enough to keep chemistry with the team while he does that. But he wants his athleticism to peak in the playoffs and in the finals, hopefully the finals, and not now. Like, it's not important to him now. It's about building up and ramping up for those plays. And, and as you get older, it's a longer ramp up. You have to be smart. Exactly. You know? No, yeah. I 100% agree. He, 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 get, he has this thing down to his science. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. And, he knows his body, man. And he's, he also, he's also adaptable. Like, like, everyone was wondering – like, LeBron actually mentioned this. So, if you remember in the 2020 season, he uh, uh, looks really, really bad in the first two Clipper games. And everyone's talking about how he was the worst player on the floor in the Clipper games. And uh, they lose both of them. 
And, you know, he was, he, he was playing well outside of that, but people were worried about how well he was playing against the highest level competition. Like when he would play like on the road in Boston or on the road in Philly or against the Clippers, he'd look a little limited compared to the rest of the schedule. Then what happened? We had a weekend right before COVID. He goes up against Giannis. He and, goes in the phone booth. And literally out, <laughs> at just, just outclasses Giannis on both ends of the floor in a game. Then on Sunday uh, at Staples against the Clippers, just completely outclasses Kawhi and Paul George, best player on the floor. They win by, you know, 10, 15 points. He was, he actually said on the record, he was so discouraged because he said, I was building up towards my playoff run and the season got cut off. But to, to his credit, he somehow managed to, in the bubble, ramp up again and have one of his best playoff runs ever. So there's an adaptability. So even if he does miss time, even if he does end up having to miss more games later in the season, he's shown in his career that he understands how to be peaking at the right time. Never bet against the LeBron team. Yeah. Never bet against the LeBron team. Uh, so let's end with this. Do you think LeBron finishes his career in LA at crypto.com arena? <laughs> I, I hope so. Um, I think one of the things that worries me with LeBron is that he's a big believer in, you know, taking as much money as possible. And he does that because he believes in the player's rights. Like he believes that if he chooses to take a discount, even if it helps his team, it hurts the long-term vision of player empowerment. So that that's the problem with LeBron. So chances are he's going to want max deals. So if he continues to take max deals in LA, it will kind of handcuff the roster a little bit, which is a little bit in, of a, a wrinkle in there. Hey, one but, other thing, hey, the Lake, the Lakers have been kind of like, I don't want to say cheap, but they didn't pay Caruso. And then also you mentioned something else earlier where they didn't pay somebody. Oh, um, Rudy uh, Gay. Rudy Gay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's so, like this is like so, a this is like a theme, right? Okay. The Caruso thing was the dumbest thing I've ever seen in my life because okay, okay first of all, uh, Kendrick Nunn was six million dollars. But if you factor in the, the luxury tax, it was triple that. You know what I mean? So like in Kendrick Nunn, even though I like him and I'm excited for his fit when he comes back, he's not nearly as good a basketball player as Alex Caruso. So it yeah. didn't make any sense to me to dip into the tax for Kendrick Nunn, but to not dip in the tax for Alex Caruso. And again, people, this is the part that drives me nuts. Everyone knows that the, the, the bus family is not as wealthy as some of the other ownership groups around the league. However, they have a ton of equity in that team. The value of that franchise has skyrocketed over the course of the last decade. They absolutely, and I've learned about this through research, there are contingencies in place that allow them to foot the bill for really expensive luxury tax payments in seasons like this. This is the last thing I'll say. They absolutely, no question, could have afforded to pay Alex Caruso. They absolutely, no question, needed him. They chose not to because they were cheap, and every Laker fan should be pissed off about it. And that's the bottom line on the Caruso thing. Yeah, that's a good rant. And I cut you off. Does LeBron finish his career real quick? Yeah, I I think he will. I I think he will because his family's all set up there. You got to factor in the brawny part of this too, Bryce as well. Like, yeah, could he, like, I don't know, make a return to Cleveland and play with Evan Mobley? Sure. But like at this point, I think he's so established in LA, he'll stay. Like I said, my only big worry would be what's the deal with, uh, what's the deal with this whole uh, uh, payroll thing? Like, are you going to be flexible in your late thirties to bring more talent in? Because I'm worried that LeBron at age 40 with AD at 32 isn't going to be enough talent to contend. That would be the one wrinkle there. 
Jason, great stuff. You're always welcome back on the show. Where can we find your podcast and where can we find you on social media and everywhere else? So my Twitter handle is underscore Jason LT. And you can find our podcast if you just search for State of the Lakers or on my Twitter feed. I've got all the links there. Raj and I do post game shows immediately after the final buzzer for every Laker game. And uh, those have been a lot of fun. We've been getting really good engagement, getting a lot of people uh, in those in those rooms. Those Twitter spaces are a lot of fun. But yeah, come check it out. We'll uh, bring some Laker analysis to you. But thank you, Andrew. I sincerely appreciate the invite. This has been a ton of fun, man. Most definitely. You're always welcome back on the show. Hopefully for you when and the Laker fan base, when the Lakers make the finals, you could come back on and we could talk about it. <laughs> I hope so, man. Be good for the show, too. <laughs> Most definitely. Thanks so much for taking the time, Jason, and talk soon. All right, buddy. Thank you for tuning in to Combo's Court Podcast. Big shouts to Jason for joining in. We appreciate you. Combo Nation, don't forget to rate, review, and punch down on that subscribe button wherever you listen to the show. If you're listening on the Apple Podcast app, leave a five-star rating, a friendly comment, and punch down on the follow button for the Apple Podcast app. It would mean the world to me if you share this episode. Share with a friend. Share it on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook. Share it on your IG stories and tag me on Instagram at 1-2-Combo. That's O-N-E-T-W-O-C-O-M-B-O. Be on the lookout for episode 323. Combo out.